First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. I write these things, I'm sorry. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Father, we pray today, we ask you for the favor of your your Holy Spirit's illumination. Father, we ask you that you would open our minds and hearts to know your love for us, to know the benefits and the, the glory of being a child of God. Father, I pray that you would bring about great hope, stir up great hope in our souls of what is to come for us, of what is around the corner, of what is in Christ. Lord, please keep us from from loving the wrong things, loving the world, loving the the small pleasures and not, not loving the incredible things that you've done for us already. Father, teach us, move us to obedience and to action. I pray that if there are those here today who don't know you, don't know your character, don't know your glory, Father, that you would, you would reveal that to them today. Draw them to yourself. Save their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So, one of the things that um, has really been a, a transition in my life over the last five years or so is um, is is the the need to live out what we read in the scriptures. Now, it's not that I never knew that. I always knew that. Um, that was always something on my mind. I always tried to make application while I was preaching or, or, or teaching or studying. Um, but just in the last five years, it's, it's really scary to me the ability that we have, and I, I put myself in, in this category, of being consumers of truth, okay? So coming in and, and hearing hearing the Word of God, hearing uh, about Christ, about His His works, His glory, His cross, the gospel, uh, His His plan, His mission, and then then leaving and and not not ever letting that truth live in us, okay? So you remember last week, five times in the in the passage last week, John just hammers us that what you heard ought to be living in you. What, you. what you heard, the truth of God, the truth about Jesus, that ought to be alive in you. It, you, ought, you ought to be abiding. The word he used is abide. Remember that? To dwell, to live in, to remain, to stick. Okay, and so five times in the passage last week, it was what you heard. It ought to be living in you. It ought to be abiding in you. You ought to be abiding in him. Okay, 
And, and so that's really caused me to rethink even, even my morning studies with guys. I mean, how easy it is when you're with guys that you, you love, you enjoy seeing, visit, and you come together and you read a passage of Scripture and you know they're a believer and, and you talk about, oh, man, it's cool, and look at this, and, and oh, man, this made me think of this verse, and, and oh, hey, man, I memorized that one a long time ago. That's one of my favorite verses, and then let's pray, and we leave. But is that word living in me? You know, is it all week long? Is it, is it changing me and shaping me? Does it stick? You know, is, is it alive in me? Okay, that's, that's the word abide. And now, now notice, okay, so five times last week, the word abide. And, and now this week, very first verse, verse 28, and now little children abide in him. I mean, he comes right back to it. Abide in, live in him, live in Christ. Live, live your life in, in Christ, at home in Christ, with him at home in you. All right, and then he gives us a very interesting reason behind this last abide, and it's this. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Okay, and so, so what I hear from that is, is, is that if you're the type of person where you love the Bible and you love to talk about the Bible and you love to study the Bible and, and you got commentaries and you got you know, all this and, and you're coming in and you're hearing it and you're, you're knowing it and you're studying about it, and then you're walking out, and you're just like the ladies in India that I talked about last week. You're walking out, and in some way you spiritually regurgitate what you, what you had, and it doesn't live in you. And, and if that's you here today, let me tell you, there's going to come a time where there is no next week. You see, a lot of times I think we always think next week, right? We always think, well, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm next week, you know, really busy right now, Christmas, presents, you know, uh, programs, all that I got to do. I'm really busy, you know, I don't... You know, I, I just, I, I got, I just got to get through this, and then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna really take it in and, and live it and, and abide in it and remain in it and let it stick. But friends, there's gonna be a time when there is no next week, okay? And so, if if you're that person, let me just encourage you: the Word of God ought to be living in you. If you're a believer, it ought to live in you, okay? You should be able to go back in your mind this week and point to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you ought to be able to point to days in which you were angry, but the Word of God was living in you, you know? Someone had done something, but the Word of God was living in you. And so you're able to, to forgive and, and give grace. And you ought to be able to point to times where you were about to walk past that person, but the Word of God is alive in you. And the life of Jesus moved you to compassion and moved you to help and moved, moved you to make an effort. I mean, the, there ought to be, you ought to be able to think of that. If you can't think of that this week, please understand what John is saying is there's coming a time where there's no more next week, okay? There's no more, oh man, I'm going to do better this next week. Oh man, I'm going I'm to try hard. Oh man, there's going to come a time where he's going to appear and there's going to be two groups of people, one group of people that is confident, okay? The word he uses there is that when he appears, we may have boldness, confidence. And, you know, it's a picture of Jesus coming back and people, yes, you know, yes, everything I've lived for, everything I've dreamed of, every, all the joy, oh, wow. And then the other group of people are those who, who I like the imagery here, shrink from him in shame. Have you ever been in a place and you did something really foolish? You, you were just, oh, it was just horrible, and you literally wanted to crawl under the carpet? Have you ever, ever been to a place where you just, I mean, literally you just couldn't, why, you didn't want to be there, okay? That, that's the picture there. And can you imagine when the Savior comes being a person who wants to crawl away because the reality is they have not abided. They haven't lived in Him. They heard. They heard all their life. They, 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 they knew truth. They could recite it. But, they, but, they, but it did not live in them and they did not live in Christ. 
one of the big discussions is, you know, is this, I mean, because John says little children, and so is this genuine believers who just squandered? You know, they, 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 there was some responsiveness to the gospel. There would have to be, but, but for the most part, they just squandered what God had given them. And, and, and there's, some, there's some scriptural evidence that he could be talking about that. You know, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse, um, where is it at, um, 3.15, says, uh, if anyone's work is burned up, this is picturing the day of judgment and, and, and your whole life goes, goes through God's refining fire. And if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Okay, there's loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's a picture of a, a person who squanders the Christian life and their, their whole life is, it, it was not lived for Christ. There's nothing of value. And they, they suffer loss on the day of judgment, but yet they're saved. I mean, you know, so some people think that he's talking about that group of people. Others say, no, no, no. I mean, to shrink in shame from Christ means you you never had it, okay? You're one of these people up in, in chapter 2, verse 19 that we looked at last week, who they were part of the visible church, but it says they went out from us. They were not really of us. If they had been, they would have continued. They would have abided. They would have remained. And of those folks, it talks about them in, Ro- in, in Revelation chapter 6, when it says in verse 15, on the judgment day, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand? The two groups of people there are those who when they see the face of Jesus, we'll talk about it in a minute, are transformed gloriously to be like him. And another group of people that just wants to crawl in a mountain and have it smash them into oblivion because that would be better than staring into the face of the King of Kings. Now, which group is it? I, I do this a lot to you, and, and sorry. Ask Brother Gary. He's got he's a new answer guy, okay? Which group is it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly which group, you know, John's talking about here. You know, Brother Gary might. Um, but here's where I come down. It doesn't matter to me, okay? I, I want to be the guy who's confident, all right? You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean. I can't imagine thinking, well, if it's the one, I'm okay with that, okay? No! I mean, man, I want to be the person who when Christ comes, I, I, am, I am calm, I'm bold, I am, I am thrilled to my core at my Savior's face. I want to be a person who abides in Him who has this practical righteousness that flows out of my life from the Word of God living in me. Do you see see verse 29? If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. I I love John. John just says things so creatively. Like like over in chapter 2, basically what he said was, if you're born of God, then you're going to have this practical righteousness. You're going to obey His commands. But here, he switches it around, and he says, whenever you see someone who is practically righteous, and by the way, what's the definition of righteousness? Well, um, I mean, it could be right standing with God. There's different definitions, but notice the one here, verse 29. If you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, okay? Jesus is righteous. Jesus is the definition of what it means to be righteous. He's righteous, okay? And so what John's saying here is anytime you see somebody who resembles Jesus, Whenever you see somebody who resembles Jesus, whenever you see somebody who has a resemblance of their Father in heaven, you know, what's it say, verse 29? 
you know, man, they're born again, all right? They've been born of God. Whenever you see somebody who has a practical righteousness coming out, the word of God is living in them. They're forgiving like Jesus. They're handling their anger like Jesus. They're handling their covetousness like Jesus. I mean, they're responding to the world like Jesus did. Whenever you see that, you know, man, that guy's been born of God. That, that only happens supernaturally. That only happens when they're born of God. That only happens when they're connected to, to the family of God. They resemble their father you ever seen one of those kids that just looks like their dad like you know there's like, oh man i know whose kid that is right you ever seen that that that's what he's saying in, in fact in john 8 there's an interesting passage where jesus is talking to the pharisees uh the religious leaders and they're lying about jesus uh they're just telling lies okay and, and here's what jesus says in, in chapter 8 verse 44 he says you're of your father the devil <laughs> you already says man i recognize you okay your dad's the devil isn't he and you and your will is to do your father's desires he is a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and a father of lies Jesus looks at these people who are lying, and he says, man, I recognize you. I, I recognize you. You're, you're of, your, of your father, the devil, okay? And, and, and John is saying a similar thing on the other side. He's saying when we have a practical righteousness that flows out of the word of God living in us, then people ought to see us and say, oh, you're like your father. You're like your father. You're like Jesus. There's a family resemblance. How good is it to be in the family of God? I'm so glad you asked that, because look at what John says in chapter 3, verse 1. Are you ready? I mean, this, this is just beyond good here, okay? Look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. This is one of those places where the King James just, you just can't get better than the King James Version, okay? Because the King James Version says, Behold what manner of love. The Father has given unto us that we might be called children of God, that we might be the sons of God. Now, now the reason I really like it is because of the word behold. The word behold kind of jars you. You know why? Because we don't use it very much. How many of you, how many of you in the last week used the word behold? You know, you came in the living room and you're like, behold the Christmas tree. You know, I mean, we don't use it very much. And so it's, it's good because it, it kind of shocks us, all right? And so what John is saying is he's saying, look. Man, behold, look at it. I, I mean, my translation says, see, see what kind of love. That, 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 that word, what kind of love, is a word that really doesn't have an English equivalent. And it's a word to use of someone marveling at. In fact, my favorite place where that word is used is Matthew 8, 27, where the, the disciples and Jesus are out on the lake, right? And there's a great storm. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Great storm, wind, waves. The boat's about to capsize. And they wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we're dying? And it says Jesus rebuked the wind okay stop it wind and he rebuked the rain stop it rain he rebuked the waves stop it waves everything goes silent and then it says the men said what kind of man is this this is no ordinary man okay John is saying same word look at it look at it behold what kind what kind of love is this now, again, I want you to be obedient to the word of God today. God's word just told you to do something. He said, look at it. See what kind of, look at it. Some of you came in here, all you can see is your problems. You're just looking at them, looking at them, looking at them. Some of you came in here, all you can see is your to-do list. Man, it just stretches out and you got, you're so busy. Your job is just cramming you right now. And all you can think about, all you can look at is your job. Some of you came in here and all you can look at is your, is your anxieties and your insecurities and what do people, okay, 
The Bible just told us to do something, so let's do it, okay? See, look, behold, what kind of love has the Father given unto us, okay? And specifically, here's what John is marveling at. Are you ready? Verse 1, that we should be called children of God. All right? That's what we are. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, then John is saying, would you just step back and marvel, marvel. Would you step back and be blown away that you might be a child of God? All right? Not, not just you were an enemy and now God's made peace with you and there's a peace treaty. No, no, no. God has taken you into His family and He's made you a child of His. Okay? Now, if you're a parent in here, I believe that you'll agree with me on this, that, 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 that the kind of love a, a parent has for their child is unique. Okay? I'm not saying it's better. I'm, not saying, I'm just saying it's unique. It's in a class by itself. It, it doesn't apply to almost to anything else, any other kind of relationship. Okay? It's a unique love. And for one thing... It is immediate and unearned and uncultivated. I mean, it's not the kind of love you you fall into love or you earn that love or you, you come to love somebody. No, man, it is given. It is bestowed, all right? That's what God has done for us. When, when, when you, many of you have had children, when you're in that, 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 that birthing room and, and the baby finally is born and, and the nurse, you know, they cut the cord and they put it in your arms. I mean, how many of you said, you got to prove it, buddy, you know, <laughs> prove it. You got to prove yourself. Earn this. Man, I'm not impressed with you so far, but, you know, get with the program. No! I mean, immediately, it is a little squirming mush thing with greasy white stuff all over it, you know? It's about killed your wife, and immediately, it has all of your love. Immediately, you are for it. That's the kind of love God has for you. You're children of God. I mean, I mean, there's... And there's a friendship. I, I'm all for friendship, love, man. I, I'm telling you, you guys hear this from me all the time. I mean, you, you ought to have a, you ought to have friends, spiritual friendships, church. You know, you ought to have that. People, you do things together. You talk every day. You, you're accountable. You're at their wedding. You're at their kids' birthdays. You, when they lose their job, you're there for them. You, you meet them and study the scripture with them. You ought to, if you don't have those relationships, you go out today and cultivate them and don't stop until you have them. Those, those are great friendships. You need those. God, God's plan is for you to live life with people. But what I'm telling you is those don't compare to the desire for good that a parent has for their child. Have you noticed that? Man, moms, moms are so unique in this. You know, you have, you have a sport. Have you seen moms at the sporting events of their children? They don't know anything at all about the sport. They are there, and they have a button the size of a beach ball on their sweater, okay, with the kid's picture. I mean, it's the ugliest thing ever, you know. They come in, they're wearing that, you know, and ribbons, and they're all dressed in the colors of the team, and, and they're there, and the kid is, is playing the sport, and they're, you know, mom, she's about to have a coronary because she's working so hard because she just wants her kid to succeed. Her husband whom she loves deeply. He goes to play church league basketball. She doesn't even show up. She doesn't care. He comes home dragging his neck, blew out his knee. She's like, I told you you shouldn't have gone and played. You know, I, mean, I mean, it's just, it is completely different, isn't it? I mean, this is a unique love. And God is wired it that way. And God is saying, you are children of God. That ought to blow you away. That, that God has that kind of love for you. And this, this is a one-sided relationship. That, I mean, just kids can't do anything at the beginning for you at all. Maybe never, you know. 
But at the beginning, I mean, I, I mean it, it's, it's so one-sided. I mean, that you bring them home, what do they do? They can spit up and, and poop yellow diarrhea. That's all they can do. They're colicky, they're cranky. They don't, they don't give back, they don't invest in you. They're nothing, you know. Maybe, maybe in three weeks of hard labor, Okay, three weeks of just working and getting up all night and feeding and changing and bathing and over and over and over. after three weeks, if if you're willing to work hard for 20 minutes, okay, making stupid faces with a cartoony voice, maybe, maybe they might smile. Maybe, maybe. And, and, and a little bitty grin, and then you're like, oh, you know. It's like they have the cure to cancer, you know. You call they smiled, you know. You had to work for 20 minutes, you know. And this little critter, that's all they're giving you back. But they love you. You love them. All right, man, doesn't that change the way you think of your relationship with God? Huh? God says, if you're a believer here today, you're my child. And some of you came in here, Eeyore in it. Man, you're discontent, grumbling. Your life's not good. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, we've all, we, have, we have struggles. I'm not, making, I'm not diminishing those. But I'm just saying, John says, look at this. Look at this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we might be sons of God, children of God. You have a name. You have your father's name. I had someone tell me this week. They said, we're not one of the prominent people in Woodward. We don't have the right last name. And I was thinking, you know, I'm pastor, so I'm listening. You know, I'm just listening. That's my job, listen. You know, but I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't even know who the prominent people are, you know. <laughs> if they said their names, I'd be like, I don't know who that is, you know. I know the, the Martins. Are they in there? You know? But I was thinking of this passage when, when they were telling me that. I was thinking, I'm a, I'm a father's name. I'm a child of the king. Adopted into his family. You know, adopted and in, 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 in God, God chooses to, he, he does both. He adopts you and you're a natural born child. We'll, we'll talk about that. But, but your adoption, the, the emphasis on adoption is, is, is that you have all the inheritance rights of a son, okay? Romans chapter 8, listen to what Paul says. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There it is again, okay? Verse 17, and if children, okay, we all know this, then heirs, okay? Children are heirs. Someday, my five kids get everything that Em and I have worked for our entire lives, okay? Someday, they're gonna, we're both going to be gone, and they're going to come in. They're going to fight over the scooter. They're going to fight over the eight-year-old craftsman mower, you know? They're going to go up in the attic, and they're going to find treasures, okay? They're going to find boxes that when we moved here 18 years ago from Kansas City, we moved into the attic. We've not opened them since, okay? They've been in the Wheat Ridge attic. They were in the, in the Cheyenne attic, and we're not going to open them. We're, we're leaving it all. We know children are heirs. We're leaving it until they unpack it. They can do whatever they want. It'll be a surprise, you know? I mean, they get everything. We know that's what it means to be an heir, okay? Now listen to what it says here, okay? If children, heirs, heirs not of your physical family, that's really not a big deal, okay? Don't get your hope 
hopes up for that because you're just going to be disappointed. But here's an exciting thing. Heirs of God, okay? Fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may not also be glorified with him. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, how good is it to be an heir of God? The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They're not even worth, don't even lay it, lay it beside your, your, your inheritance, okay? Because it's not even worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the, the revealing of the sons of God. That, I love that verse. I love it. You know what I think of? I think of the Grand Canyon crying out, okay, eagerly awaiting, anticipating the revealing of us in the glory of Jesus, okay? They can't wait for us to be glorified. The Grand Canyon can't, okay? The, the great sequoias, the Pacific Ocean, it all eagerly waits for the glory of the revealing of the sons of God. We have an inheritance in Christ, and folks, it is coming. But not only are we adopted, we are also naturally born sons and daughters of the King. Next week, if you come back, I hope you do. First John chapter 3, verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, notice the biological reference, God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. We've got the spirit of God inside of us, okay? We are forever transformed. That's why we have this likeness to our Father. We have this resemblance. We have this practical righteousness that that you have when you're abiding in Christ because his seed, his spirit lives in us. Folks, this is so good that the Bible cries out for you to give effort to understand it. In Ephesians, you've heard me refer to this many times. When Paul prays for the church, I want you to keep this in mind as you go to a prayer meeting tonight, those of you who will go. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, listen how Paul prays for the church. He says that, that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, that you may know what's the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What's the immeasurable greatness of his power? Paul just says, man, I'm praying for you, church, born-again believers, that you would know all your riches, that you would know the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection, the power that's in Christ. And then over in verse 18 and 19, of chapter 3, he prays again, and he says, I want you, I'm praying for you that you would have strength. You're too weak right now, but you'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul basically says, look, this being a child of God, it is too big to ever get our heads around, but you need to try. You need to give conscious effort to be holding the love of God for you. The world doesn't understand it. Don't expect the world to understand it. In chapter 3, verse 2, notice it says, um, what, what we shall be is not, oh no, where are we at? No, verse 1, verse 1 still of chapter 3. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world doesn't recognize Jesus, doesn't recognize his glory. It's not gonna recognize you. You, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta give spiritual effort to understand the love of God for you. All right, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now we are. Right now. Okay, he wants you to feel this, this moment. We're God's children now. That should, you know what you should feel? I don't know how else to describe this, but a fullness. You should feel a fullness. You should feel a, an overwhelming sense of blessedness. And by the way, that's going to have an incredible practical implication upon your life. And that it's going to break the chains of temptation to sin. That's what fullness does. 
Brian Billings bought us some chocolate-covered almonds, and they are the greatest food on all planet Earth. <laughs> They're incredible. We had two boxes. We're down to one. I don't know where the one went. Um, I was got gone for a day, and it's gone. So but we got one left. Put it up on top of the fridge so the little kids can't reach it. They've given up their little Debbies and their little uh, donut sticks and stuff for chocolate-covered almonds in their lunch. These are good. And every time I walk by, morning, noon, or night, I go after them. I tell myself not because I I read the back of them, and it's like eating a piece of fat, you know. So I tell myself I shouldn't, but I just can't can't resist. I mean, I I can't resist. Every time, I'll just get a couple, you know. That's what you tell yourself. I just get a couple. The only time that I've been able to resist is when I'm full, okay? Emma's mom and dad were here, and we went, to, we went to eat quite a bit when they were here last week, and so we went to JB's one night, and so I had a chicken fried steak, and uh, I always clean my plate. I always, I've made a happy plate since I was a kid. I'm really good at that. You know, ate all the, the pan fries, ate the roll, ate the salad. <sighs> I'm full, and I came home, and for once, I was like, nah, not now, because I'm full, All right, spiritually, when John says to you, look at what kind of love the Father has for you, that should make you full. Not hungry for the world. Not grasping for glory. Because you have have the glory of Christ. Not going after the bait of materialism and sensuality and status. Listen, listen, you ought to be full You ought to be not prone to anger over what's been taken from you. And I'm not disputing that things haven't been taken from you. But listen what I'm saying to you. You ought to look at what's been given to you. Okay? You you ought to not be prone to bitterness over your loss. You ought to look at what you've gained in Christ. You ought not be prone to grumble over the irritations of what's wrong in your life. You ought to be overwhelmed by what's right in your life. You ought not be prone to anxiety over what's uncertain. You ought to be blown away way by what is rock solid and certain in your life because of Christ. You ought to feel full. Now I like what John does here. Verse 2. Transition. Beloved, we are God's children now. We have this now. And then he, then he turns. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Okay? So, so we've just looked back and we've seen, man, what, what do we have in the gospel? We are children of God. We should be overwhelmed. We should be blown away. That kind of love bestowed on us. That's the way God feels about it. He's for us in the way that a parent is for a child. And now, and now John stretches us around. He says, and, and guess what? Guess what? What we're going to be, man, it's, it's not yet appeared. In other words, we don't know all the details, all right? We don't know all the details. We don't know what it's going to be like to have a resurrection body. We don't know what it's going to be like to, to have a life without sin, to have a life. How are we going to relate to each other in a new world? I mean, there's honestly, we don't know all of that. But, but, but here's what we do know. We know this. This is what I always come back to. People ask me questions like, you know, what's it going to be like? And how's this going to work? You know, what if, you, you know, what if you're married? You know, and how, how's my wife, my husband? I, I, can't, I don't know if I can, I, I can't be happy without being married to my sweetheart. You know, I mean, all those kind of questions. I'm just like, fooey, okay, fooey. Now, here's the principle of the Bible. God never disappoints, okay? All right, we don't know all that's going to be ahead for us. But here's what we do know. God never disappoints. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, all that we ask or imagine. 
Would you just do that right now, okay? Just stretch your mind. Imagine the greatest glory. Imagine the greatest joy. Imagine in your mind the greatest pleasure. Imagine in your mind the greatest world that you can possibly think of in your head. Okay, imagine that. Now, here's what the Bible says. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, okay? God's going to blow that away. God always exceeds expectation. Always. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, What no eye has seen or ear heard or heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. God always exceeds expectations. Sometimes we don't think so because we're having a hard time and when we're having a rough time. We're in that Joseph period of our life where, where we, we've been done wrong, done wrong by our family, you know, thrown into, into servitude, done wrong by our employer, thrown into jail. You know, maybe we're in that period of our life where, they, man, God, he, what are you doing here? You've really let me down. And then all of a sudden God raises him up to be the prime minister of Egypt, okay, and to save his family and, and to save the line of Christ and to be in this great economy of what God's doing. You may be in that time, but here's the reality. God doesn't disappoint. He always exceeds expectations. Look at it in the scriptures, you know. What do you, what do you think the conversation was there, you know, on the banks of the Red Sea? How are we going to get across? How are we going to do? Oh, Lord, we can't get, we got an army coming after us. And all of a sudden, God parts the Red Sea, okay? Towering water on both sides. What do you think the conversation was like? You think there was some old boy that was like, oh, that's disappointing. I was hoping we'd get a rowboat, you know, and take turns going across. God always exceeds expectations. What do you think Mary and Martha thought at the tomb of Lazarus? Well, Jesus made it. Maybe he'll have some words of comfort for us. Maybe he'll say something to make us feel a little better. Jesus like, how about we just bring him out? Come on, Lazarus, you know. Come on out, alive. God always exceeds expectations. And so let's go back to our text, verse 2. Beloved, we're God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. It's not here yet, okay? But what do we know about it? All we need to know, here it is. But we know when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. If that's not good enough for you this morning, then you don't know who he is. Okay? I mean, you're going to be like him, the first and best of beings, the one who's glorious, the one who's everything that we could ever imagine, the perfect man. We shall be like him. Okay, now notice the how, okay? This is really important. This is important if, if, if you're here at Lincoln and sticking around. I want you to know this because we're going to come back to this a lot, okay? Okay, we shall be like him, the end of verse 2, because, this is the how, we shall see him as he is, okay? Now that's incredibly important for us here at Lincoln Avenue because it gives us a model for how God works, okay? How does he transform us? How does he shape us? How does he change us? How does he take somebody who's steeped in sin and bring them out of that sin and into righteousness? How does he make a guy who's mean and brutal to his family into a guy who is gentle and gracious and merciful and loving? How does he take a gal who's all eat up with materialism to a gal who's eat up with the glory of God? How does God do that, okay? How does he do that? You know, let me tell you how he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that through rules and religion, okay? He doesn't do that through, hey, try harder. I'll come in today and and I'll tell you guys who we ought to be and then we just all go out and try harder, okay? There's no power in that. What there is power in is this right here, okay? How are we going to be changed? When he comes back, we're going to be completely glorified. It's all going to be like it was intended to be. 
And it's going to happen because we shall see him as he is. You see, the power of the gospel, the power of transformation, the power of fruit, the power of righteousness, the power of you becoming like Jesus comes when you see him, when you know him, when you experience Christ. That's what changes our heart. That's what changes our desires. That's what changes our mind and our will and eventually someday our body. Okay, a verse that we come back to all the time at Lincoln Avenue is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it gives us kind of a model of how people are transformed. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, We all, with unveiled face, God has taken away the veil, beholding the glory of the Lord. What are we seeing? We're seeing the glory of Jesus. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. I mean, that's how our transformation happens is we see the glory of Jesus. We see him. We marvel at him. We trust him. We see that he's faithful. He's powerful. He's good. He's loving. He's gracious. We see all that he's done for us, and we trust him. We love him. We, we want to be like him. And the Spirit of God, through the, through, the, through the experience of Jesus, changes our lives. That's what John told us at the very beginning of this book. You remember when we started 1 John chapter 1? What did he tell us? He says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life. John says we saw Jesus, we experienced Jesus, we heard Jesus, and now we're telling you about Jesus so that you can be changed. You can have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father. Folks, this is not do good religion. This is not try harder theology. This is see and know and experience Jesus and be supernaturally transformed. Knowing Christ is what breaks the power of sin in a person's life. And when you know his goodness, when you, when you know what he's done for you, how can you not trust him? How can, how can the person that just sat here and, and embraced all the love of God that God showers upon us, scoops us up, makes us his children, makes us heirs, puts his spirit in us forever, glorifies us in the coming resurrection. And how can that person say, I just don't know if I can trust him. He's told me to do this and I don't know. No. Seeing, knowing Jesus gives us great confidence to trust him. We get, let's look at the last verse. We got to finish up here. Verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, what's John doing here? We've gone all the way around, right? Okay, so, so now we as believers, we stand here and we look back and we say, behold the manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might become children of God right now, okay? So we've seen God has loved us in the gospel. God has loved us and made us his children. We have that right now. And now we stretch our eyes forward and we're like, I'm not sure what it's all gonna be like, but I know this when he appears. When he appears, I'm going to be made like him and all of my greatest joys and ambitions and pleasures and dreams are going to be made true in Christ. He is everything to me. And this is the person who thus hopes. What is hope? Confident expectation of a good thing to come, right? And the person who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself as he is pure. So the guy that's really grabbing on to what, what God has for me, the, the person that's really grabbing on to all that Jesus has done for me, and the person that's really grabbing on to all that he's going to do for me, all, all that I am in Christ, all that lies ahead for me, the person who has that hope, he purifies himself. He says, man, I don't want to sin. Why, why would you want to sin? If you're that person today, 
and you've embraced, man, God loves me in this way. God is for me in this way. God has my back in this way. God has done all this for me now and stretching out in front of me. Here's what my future holds. <laughs> it's all of this. Why would that person turn around and say, but I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Folks, genuine hope breaks the power of temptation. I, I think we're, we're being hit both sides here. Genuine hope. When you truly believe something good is coming for you, you're able to say no to the piddly things you're being baited with right now. All right, Christmas time's coming, so here's one more food illustration for you, okay? I'm just warming you guys up for Christmas. In the office, we have M&M's. They're at Paula's desk. Paula guards them. She's the gatekeeper to the M&M bag. It's a great big bag. We, have a, we just scoop our hands in there. The reason we do that is because if you eat a bag of M&M's, you feel bad, right? I eat the whole bag, okay? But if you scoop up M&M's, even though probably what you have in your hand is like three bags, you feel like I just got a little, right? And so we, just, we scoop it like that. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I'm at my desk and I'm a little sleepy and I'm, what do I need? What do I need? I get up, do some push-ups, come back, I'm so sleepy. M&M's, that's what I need, you know? I start thinking about it. I'm like, no, no, just wait. No, it's okay, just wait. I can't wait. Every time, I mean, every time, I'll tell myself, just wait. Ten minutes, I'm in there getting a scoop of M&M's. I mean, I mean it's just every time, I, there's no power. Except, except, this is the exception, okay? Michelle loves to watch the cooking channel. And, and she, she, we love her to watch the cooking channel because she's always making new recipes. And she comes in, she really wants your input. You know, she's like, was this moist enough? Was this, you know? And, and we just, we, we don't really care, but we want her to keep bringing stuff. And so we, we'll, we'll give input and stuff. And so, but she'll call the office. She'll call, and tell, uh, she'll call and tell Paula and she'll say, she'll tell everybody I'm bringing brownies. Okay, now I could be on my way to the cabinet. And Paula's like, Michelle just called, she's bringing brownies. Okay, I don't want them. I don't want the M&M's. Something better coming. And all of a sudden, I've got the power to say no. Why wouldn't it be the same a thousand times more? As you're tempted with sin, aren't you able to say, ah, are you convinced by, by God's love for you that he's got something better? He's got something better for your relationship, something better for your, won't you trust him? Won't that hope drive you? To say no to the small pleasures and yes to Jesus. Let's hope in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us. Help us to see rightly the glory of Jesus. Help us to see rightly what manner of love that's been bestowed and given to us. God, I pray that that would transform the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see our life, the way that we see everything. God, change us, Lord, by, by embracing how much you love us and embracing all that you've done for us and all that you will do. God, God help us to grab, make, make it real to us. Make it real to us, all that, that is coming in Christ. And Father, help us to to be like you, Jesus. You're the best thing. You've given the best thing. We, we, want, we want the best. We want you. We want you, Jesus. Give us power. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.